Raise your hand. If you're a confessions of a power, more like a power of technique or something like that, I like starting fires. I like attempting to start fires, maybe I should say. I flunked Boy Scouts, so I don't know that I'm the best fire starter guy that you want on your survival camp out, but uh, I, you, you give me enough matches and enough fuel and enough wood, and I can start any, I can start it on fire. But uh, you take away one of those elements, and then I'm, I'm really hurting at that point. But you know, starting fires is, uh, is something that's, that's fun. It's therapeutic for a lot of people. I don't know about you, but we have a fireplace at our home that's really easy. It's idiot-proof. You go up and you switch a switch, and boom, presto, you have instant fire in the fireplace. I like the old-fashioned kind. I like the one where you smell the wood, and you hear the wood, and it's snapple, snap, crackle, pop in the fireplace, and it's warm and cozy. It's a little bit more messy. But I'll, that's the kind of fires that I like. That's the kind of fires I, I prefer. So that's the kind of fires we have. But starting a fire, can, you know, you can watch it and, and think about it. One of our favorite things to do while we were living in Zambia was to start fires uh, at night with, uh, with uh, just the nationals sitting around the fire and just processing about the day, processing about what we talked about and, and taught on that day. And you, I think we actually did more teaching in those, in those environments than we did in, I guess, the scheduled uh, program teaching kind of format, just because we were able to talk and to share. It's almost, again, very positive. Now, sometimes when you say the word fire, for some people, negative ideas begin to pop into their mind. You know, you think about a California forest fire and that the, all these these fires, and these great big beautiful trees being burned off the side of a hill and houses being burned and fam- families losing losing their possessions and sometimes losing their life. That's 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 a that's a, de- that's a destructive kind of uh, fire. That that's not what I'm talking about. There's there's constructive and there's destructive fires. In fact, you have to have fire in your life. You have to have that element of fire. Now, however it's contained and packaged may be different, but you've got to have the fire in life. And having self-directed, contained fire is very positive. It's a very positive thing. Whenever you heat up your food at night, if you're a college student, those ramen noodles, you want to have ramen noodles, well, guess what? You've got to have a fire to cook those ramen noodles or beanie weenies or whatever you get through uh, college on. But, I mean, those are a part of You've got to have that fire, and it's a good thing. Then there's that element of, of having a fire in the, in, in the home to keep you warm. Uh, there's that having that fire so, so you can read a book at night and different things like that. These are all elements of a contained, self-directed fire. Well, I want to talk over the next few weeks about fire and about how our life is supposed to be about starting a fire. Jesus calls us the light of the world, okay? Think about it not as a flashlight because they didn't have flashlights. Think about it as a flame, a self-directed, self-contained fire that gives life. When, if you're a believer in this room today and you're a follower of Christ, and if you remember last week I said that these next three messages are really very, very, very important for those who are members of Grace Point, those who are followers of Christ, vitally important to the whole scheme of things. Well, as you think about it, this message and, and the whole starting of a fire has some imagery to it because the Holy Spirit is inside of every believer. Okay? God sets, uh, sets inside of every believer His Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is several things. It, it, metaphorically in Scripture, He's referred to as wind at times. He's referred to as water at times. 
he's referred to as fire. And that fire and the tongues of fire and the different elements of fire speak of something. And what is it about fire that's so important that we would use it as, a, as an imagery to describe the Holy Spirit? Well, what I want to say, what, what you just saw in that video was K starting fires. K was, was in, 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 in her class. She and Daniel were in there teaching and they were starting, see, I can't even start a match off of a matchbook. Excuse me. I will try it this way. There we go. She was starting fires inside of those children's lives and those kids' lives. And it was like every child that she was able to teach and speak to. It was like igniting a principle, a, a life principle, a truth inside of inside of that child. And, and here it is, it's, it becomes a glow. No longer is it a stagnant cognitive truth out there contained in the pages of Scripture. But now, selfless living, as she taught those children, become real life lessons for them. And that child will carry that life lesson wherever they go. Now, sometimes they'll forget it. Sometimes they'll lose it. Sometimes they'll have to be reminded about it. But it is something that has been set afire in their life that, that can now change their life if they continue to live off of that. Well, I think if you look at the life of Christ, you look at Jesus as being one of those candle, fire lighter kind of people. Jesus lit fires in people, but he didn't do it through maybe striking a match. He did it through the way he lived his life. And the way he lived his life was a life of selfless serving those around him. Strangers to people he lived with. Relatives to, to people that were not even of his same Jewish background. He was a fire starter God walking the earth and he did this in an amazing way. In fact, one of my verses that I've memorized for some time is Mark chapter 10 verse 45. I first read it and was exposed to it when I was reading through Chuck Swindoll's book, Improving Your Serve. But he says in, he says in, in Scripture, Mark 10, 45, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It tells you exactly why Jesus came to live. He came to serve. He came to minister. He came to give, not be given to, not to receive. He came to start fires in people's lives and to make a difference in people's lives in starting these fires. These fires that would change their course, that would change their direction, that would cause them to think differently. And Jesus was all about that. He was about changing. And, you know, if you take the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you were to take those first four books of the New Testament that tell about the life of Christ, the, 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 era, the, the, the time of, of Jesus' three-year ministry, the one that gets the most attention is actually one week of Jesus' life. The last week of Jesus' life gets the lion's share of the attention in the Gospels. His death, burial, resurrection, his betrayal, his trial, all of those events happen in the Gospels, okay? Now, if you were to separate that out, what is the rest of the Gospel dealing with? It's dealing with his ministry, his life, the way he lived out his life. The number one part about Jesus, is his, and the most important part, is his death, burial, and resurrection. That's where we receive life. But he also was a teacher. He also was a model. He also modeled character for us and how we ought to live out our lives. And how did he do it? He came not to be served, but to serve. He taught. He healed. He walked on water. He, he made blind people see again. He did all these miracles. He, did, he touched people's lives. He made a difference. He started fires. 
He struck a match in different people's lives at different times. In fact, Jesus performed so many miracles. There were 35 different separate miracles that Jesus performed throughout his ministry. The Gospels record different one of them. Some of them don't record all of them. In fact, Matthew recorded 20, Mark 18, Luke recorded 20 of them, and John recorded seven different miracles that Jesus did throughout his life. Some of them are over, again, are repeated in different Gospels. So Jesus was constantly doing miracles. There's one thing you've got to understand about his miracles. They told stories. He was a master teacher. He was also a master at miracles. His, his teaching was miraculous. G. Campbell Morgan said it like this, Every parable Jesus spoke was a miracle of instruction. And every miracle that Jesus performed was a parable of instruction, for instruction. So when Jesus was healing or whatever he was doing, he was constantly teaching us and showing us how we ought to live out our life. You have to look at his parables. There were 48 different times that he was teaching. A third of his, a third of his teaching he taught in parables. He was a master teacher and he was a master healer. Jesus was about ministering and giving of himself. He was either giving truth to people's life so they could live their life, or he was helping them live out their life in the, in the current now and now. Sometimes we only think about Jesus in the sweet by and by, but Jesus helps us to live in the nasty now and now. And that's exactly what he helped people do, help them live out their life. That's a model for us. If you look at the life of Christ just some of them, he lived a lifestyle of ministry. That was what marked his life. Now, I want to tell you a story today about uh, that's kind of what, what Charles Ryrie calls a, a parenthetical miracle because it's kind of sandwiched in between two other miracles. The first big miracle, let me tell you about that one. Jesus is in this, uh, in this metropolitan area, and he, he comes across this man who is just covered with demons. He is full of demons. He has, well, and when Jesus said, how many demons are, what's, what's the name of the demon that's inside of you? They said legion. Now, basically, that means that there's too many of us to name. Now, we don't know how many, lead, how many demons there was inside this man, but we do know one thing. When Jesus cast out these demons, he cast them out into swine, into pigs that were on a hill, because that's where they wanted to go, okay? They wanted to go to the hill and not to hell. And so they wanted to go to the pigs and not, not be bound in hell. So he cast them out into these pigs. And what did these, how many pigs were there? There were 2,000 pigs. So there were at least 2,000 demons you can rationalize, that were inside this, of this individual, affecting him, challenging him. This man was covered up with demons. He was the crazy man in town. But more than that, he was the possessed man in town. But 2,000 demons, Jesus calls out, sends them into pigs. Those pigs go running down into the, in, into the sea, and they drown. That's a miracle. This man in, the, in, the, in, in this Dicopolis area, he becomes the evangelist of the Dicopolis. Now, the thing about Jesus is, is wherever he went, he drew a crowd. There was lots of people who wanted to see Jesus cast out 2,000 demons and see pigs run off into the hill or run, run off the hill into the water. They wanted to see Jesus walk on water. They wanted to see all this kind of stuff. So wherever Jesus went, there was always a crowd of people. So here it is. Jesus was with this crowd of people, and then he goes and he decides it's time to get in the boat and go to the other side. So he gets in the boat. Now, here's just an interesting Bible study for you sometime. Study Jesus in boats. I think he had a fascination with them. He found comfort in the boat, okay? Because Jesus, he found his first disciples by the boat. He found them by the water. And that's not an excuse for you to go out and buy a boat, okay? Because Jesus liked boats. But this man, he liked boats. Jesus liked boats. In fact, whenever he would rest, you would find him resting in the hole of the boat. 
He was sleeping one time there when there was such a storm. It was crashing in around these experienced fishermen, professional fishermen, were about to drown. They go and they wake up. Jesus, don't you even care that we're drowning in here? And Jesus gets up and he calms the water. Now, that's what you need on your boat is you need Jesus. But Jesus is asleep in the boat. So who knows what happens? He, he leaves this big crowd at the Decapolis, and he gets in this boat, and he travels across the ocean, or across the sea, and he gets out. But there was such a crowd when Jesus came around. They knew it was Jesus. And immediately, no more than his feet hit the sand, that he already had a crowd of people around him. You read the story. There was already a throng of people, a multitude of people already around Jesus. So he left the crowd of people. He went to a crowd of people. And then right there, he was met by another man named Jairus. Jairus was having some problems at home. His problem was his daughter was sick and dying. But he had heard about Jesus, and Jesus was his master healer. He'd heard that Jesus was able, able, able to heal. So, so he comes to Jesus. He falls down. He is broken. Listen, like any man losing a daughter seeing his daughter wasting away and wondering what in the world that he could do. And we'll read here in a little bit, the doctors in this town weren't that great. And so here he is, my daughter's dying, I'm coming to Jesus, maybe this is my last hope, he's my only hope, and maybe Jesus will say, I'll tell you the suspense, I'll take the suspense away from the Jairus' daughter dies. But when you've got Jesus with you, he'll, he'll break up a funeral any day. And that's exactly what he does eventually, but we're not going to talk about that one. We're not going to talk about the miracle whenever he, kill, when he, when he heals the man of 2,000 demons. We're not going to talk about the miracle when he brings Jairus' daughter back to life again. Those are pretty big miracles. I want to talk to you about the parenthetical miracle that happens in the middle. Because when Jesus leaves the shore and he's going, he's going to Jairus' daughter, there's an encounter that happens with a woman. A woman who's been hemorrhaging. Blood has been coming out of her body for 12 long years. Can't get the blood to stop. I read lots of different commentaries and could not find anybody who would try to, try to get in there, some doctor who would try to get in there and tell us what the problem was. We don't know. She was just bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years. This lady evidently had some money because she was able to spend her money and she tried every doctor around. She spent all of her money. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that she was even worse at the end of it all. Take your Bibles and look at Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read this text. Because it's this lady, and what happens in this lady, and what happens to this lady who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, that is the story that I want to focus on today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. It says, And he went off with him. Who's him? Him is Jairus. Jairus is there. He's going off with him. And a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had hemorrhaged for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. And she thought, if, if I could just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of their blood was dried up and, and she felt in her body that she was healed in her, of, of her affliction. Immediately Jesus perceived himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth and turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? 
And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. I want to come back to our metaphor that we're going to be using over the next few weeks. Whenever we think about catching on fire, as a kindergartner in school, there are three things that we're told to do. What are they? Stop, drop, and roll. Say it with me. Stop, drop, and roll. Now see, the first, the first group in here, they all said it in unison. So I told them, great, you're smarter than a kindergartner. But I don't know about this group. So it's stop, drop, and roll. Very good. Now, that's how you put out a flame if you're on fire. All right? However, I want to spin that around today and say, hey, you want to be on fire, but instead of putting out the fire, when we learn to stop, drop, and roll, we will actually fan the flame instead of put the flame out. And so this week we're going to talk about what it means to stop, next week drop, and the last week to roll. So this week we want to talk about what do we stop doing in life? What is it about life that needs to stop and get out of our life if we are going to set people's fires, set people afire, set their spirits afire, their souls afire? What do we need to do? Well, this passage, I think, gives a beautiful picture of that. In fact, whenever preparing for this series back months ago, immediately this was the passage that I came to. Because I thought about Jesus and the response of the disciples and, and the varying response and all that was going on. I thought, this is modern day America. This is it. This is us. All right? This is who we are right here. And we are many times like the disciples and not like Jesus. And I'd rather be like Jesus than like the disciples. So what is it that He models for us and shows us that we need to do if we are going to fan the flame, encourage the flame, spread the flame, that's in us, again, the Holy Spirit, assuming that we're believers in here today, assuming the Holy Spirit is inside of you, how do I pass on that flame to others? Well, here's three things that I think Jesus models for us. Number one, we need to stop noticing the crowd, and we need to pay attention to the person. Stop noticing the crowd and pay attention to the person. Remember what I said? Jesus left a crowd. He got in the boat. He was alone for a little bit. Then he got out, and no more than the sand was sticking to his feet that he have another crowd around him. And this crowd was gathering around. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next and all that kind of stuff. Well, this crowd became so great. It says in the book of Luke, Luke 8, 42, it says the crowds almost crushed him. So we've got to understand that there is actually a crowd control problem. Jesus needs some big bodyguards or he's going to get smashed. All right? And so what happens then? Jairus comes on the scene and says, Hey, my daughter's dying. Would you come and help my daughter? Yes, let's go help your daughter. So they start tracking up to Jairus' house. And in that crowd, and in that movement, in that rush of people, they're crashing in around Jesus. And in that crowd, and in that crushing crowd of people, there's a lady who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And she is doing everything she can to get to Jesus. She's probably calling out His name. She's probably trying to get in to Him. But somehow, whether she crawls in under the legs or she reaches over the top, I don't know. But somehow she grabs and touches one person said this past week, just the tassels 
maybe just the tassels of his robe just long enough. And in that process, she was healed. In that process, she was healed of something that the doctors couldn't fix. She was healed of something that only Jesus could fix. After all these years, Jesus was able to do this. And now Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, again, remember, he's being crushed. Remember, all the disciples are being kind of crammed in next to Jesus. And who touched me? That's what Jesus said. He said, what are you saying? His disciples said, you're asking who touched you, Jesus? What are you talking about? How are we supposed to know who touched you? See, the difference is this. Is Jesus is in the crowds, but he's looking for the person. And sometimes we just come into the crowds and we miss the people. Jesus didn't want to miss the person, the individual who had a story, who Jesus wanted to help, who Jesus wanted to be a part of the answer in their life. He wanted to be a part of their life and he wanted to know who they were. Listen, we live in a day, if I can bring it to 21st century America, we live in a day where we want, we want to have relationships. We're a high-tech, but we're also a high-touch society. The problem is the more, more technical we become, the less touch we become. The less, the less personalization we have. We have, we have our, our, I've said this so many times, we pull in our garages and we shut the garage door behind us before we get out. We no longer sit on the front porch. We now sit on the back patio that's surrounded by a privacy fence. We are now antisocial, but yet our, God has made us to be social. And so we, we long for a social connection. We long to be a person with a story, to be able to tell our story. We, we long to be real and transparent, but sometimes we, we lack that in our culture. I think because of that, there, have, there has been created vultural, vir, excuse me, not vultures, uh, virtual, vulture, <laughs> I can't say, you got it the first time, uh, virtual communities out there. One is Facebook. Facebook is one of those virtual communities. 53 million, uh, billion, excuse me, 53, I'll get my facts straight, 53 million people in the world have a Facebook. I even have a Facebook. There are 250,000 people a day sign up for Facebook. Now, what is it about Facebook? It's a virtual community. It's an online community where you can go online, and all it is is it's just your life. You put your life out there, what you've done, what you like, the coffee you drink, your, your, what, you, what you advocate, what you, what you don't like, who, who your candidate. You just put it out there on the web. It's the craziest thing on earth. I mean, if you just said eventually that we're going to have an online community where we're just going to, we're going to talk to people and we're going to look at each other on the Internet. But what is it telling me? It's telling me, it's telling you that we are a culture that wants to have connections but we live in a very disjointed world. We live in a crowd. But when we really want to make an impact, we need to get to know people. People have stories to tell. If I could come down here today, and I could tell some of y'all's stories, because I know you. So you come in here on a Sunday morning, and, and you think, I'm coming in incognito, nobody will know me. But I know some of your stories, and the thing is, is your story is so awesome. If your story could be told and what a difference that, that can make, I think about Jack, Jack Roller over here, one of our, one of our, our, our new uh, ushers. Jack wasn't in church for 30 years. Do you realize that? Left church when he was a kid, left church and has been out of church for 30 years, came back to Grace Point, and God's been doing a real cool thing in his life. That is really, really awesome. 
I love Jack and I love getting to know Jack and what, what God's doing. He's got a story to tell. He's got a real neat story that most of you all on this side of the room or even on this side of the room won't know unless you get to know Jack. I like Will and Waltina down here on the front row. They moved here to retire from California. They didn't do a very good job about that. Waltina's heading up our Mother's Day Out program. Uh, uh, Will is the, the, the county marshal, fire marshal. So I'm sitting here having these open flames. Is that okay? Am I okay? All right, good. You'll spit on them if they get too out of control. But they've got a cool story. I mean, I, I, I love Will because he came to me right after they, they, they joined the church. Or, yeah, right after they joined the church, he said, man, I, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to work. I retired, but I'm not ready to quit. I'm not ready to give up. I'm not ready to, to just uh, go play golf in Bella Vista all the time or whatever he, he said. He lives in Bella Vista, so nothing against that. But anyway, so he said, I want to do something. I said, well, I'm getting ready to go to Molly. You want to go with me? And that was what he's thinking about. He was ready to do something else other than that, but he went. We had a great time. I really got to know him. He's got a cool story, but you won't know it unless you're with him. See, the problem is is that we can slide in and out of that door every week, and we can not be noticed, but we've got a story to tell. We have a ministry in our church called HUGS. HUGS stands for Hospitality, Ushers, Greeters, and Safety. You had to have an S in there, but really the safety people are out in the parking lot. All right? HUGS. What's their number one job? Their number one job in this church is to look into the crowd, not at the crowd. Look into the crowd and to look for people that need a hug, that need an embrace, that need a handshake, that need to just be made welcome. had a real cool email come to me a couple of weeks ago. And the great thing about this, this is not that rare, but this one just is recent. In fact, it came on March 23rd. So just very recently I got it. But it's worth sharing with you because to communicate to you that, that you, when, you, when you take seriously, you've got a flame and that you actually can take that flame and pass that flame on and make a difference in somebody's life, then this right here affirms that. This is what the email said. My husband and daughter and I have visited your church for the last two Sundays and wanted to let you know what a wonderful job that you all are doing uh, greeting guests and making us feel welcome. We have been visiting several churches looking for a church home, and Grace Point has been the first church where we didn't have to seek out people to tell them that we were the first-time visitors and needed assistance finding the nursery and where our daughter needed to go. We felt instantly welcome and at home, and that means so much. We can't wait to, uh, to come back and to learn more about Grace Point Thank you so much, loving Christ. Isn't that pretty cool? You know what that tells me? It tells me when somebody's coming in, our hugs ministry is looking out. They're not just looking at a crowd. They're looking for people to make an impact, to take and to share their light and to pass on that light to someone else. That's the difference. That's the difference it takes when a person who stops looking at the crowd and starts looking at the individual people. Here's the second thing that we need to make note of. We need to stop, number one, noticing the crowd and pay attention to the person. Who have you met today? Before we move on, who have you met today? Already, you've met somebody new, and you're going to lock their name into your memory, and you're going you're to pray for them this week, and you're going to look for them next week. Hopefully, everyone. If not, you got a three-minute rule that we have in our church. The first three minutes after the end of every service, 
get to know somebody new. Meet somebody new, give them your name, get to know them, begin to develop, build relationships. Number two, stop holding back for yourself and give yourself to someone else. We're very good about looking out for number one. Notice what, Jesus, what happened to Jesus in his life. Verse 30 says, Immediately Jesus, perceiving himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth. Jesus literally felt, listen to this, a physical drain on him. As he ministered, as unconsciously or consciously, as he ministered, there was a physical depletion that happened to his life. He physically felt energy going out of his life. Now, I've, I'm sad to say that there's a lot of people who don't want to serve because they get tired. They don't want to teach because it's hard. They, uh, I've heard so many people say, I want a quality volunteer staff child care program, but I don't want to help make it happen. I want my children to go there, and I want it to be good. But I don't want to help to have to make it happen. I just want it to happen. You know what? It doesn't happen like that. It happens when we all have our life changed like Jesus. And we stop looking at the crowd and start looking at the people. When we stop looking at ourselves and be willing to give of our own energies, of our own talents, of our own skills, of our own giftedness. We listen, no professionals are required for this ministry. I know I told the first service. I can't remember if I told you all. But Leodra, and when we were preparing for this, what's coming up in these next three weeks, and before she went on maternity leave, I asked her, I said, so how many children's workers do you need for the coming year? For preschool and for our children's side. And FYI, we're looking at starting our third service in the fall. So we're preparing for that now. We'll have two morning services at current times, and an evening service that would be exactly like the morning services at about 5 or 5.15. So if we did that, how many workers do you need? She says she needs 200 workers. You know what? That takes a lot. You know, we've, we've said from the beginning that, hey, if you have a child in the child care, you need to be contributing to the child care if you're a member of Grace Point Church. You just need to be a part of the, the whole process of passing on and training your children. It takes too much energy for me. It took energy for Jesus to heal people. Be a part of the answer. Be a part of the, the answer. Here's three realities about, about ministry, okay? Jot them down. There's actually six of them total, but three hard realities and three awesome realities. One, ministry's messy. Just get it down. Ministry is messy. It's, it's, you, you may walk in there clean and walk out dirty, all right? You may walk in there stain-free and walk out with more stains than the cleaners can get out. You may serve coffee behind the counter and get coffee spilt on you. You may help clean out the trash. Ministry is doing many times grunt, dirty work. Nothing glorifying about it. Not necessarily even up here on stage. It's grunt, dirty work. It's hard work. It's messy. But it's also meaningful. The ministry is meaningful because you realize that now you're turning on the light in a child's life. You're taking that child's life, and I can't get this thing lit again. And you are going in, you're going into that child, and you're helping that child see truth that they wouldn't have seen before. It's messy, but it's meaningful. But it's also, here's another thing, it's consuming. 
ministry is consuming. It's going to consume your energy. It's going to consume some of your time. There's going to be some mornings you're going to wake up on Sunday morning and you're going to say, why in the world did I sign up for a year of this? Why? It's going to consume you. You're going to think, why did I do this? What good is it? Are they even getting it? I'm so tired. I've been giving all week long. I've got my own kids to deal with. I can't do it. It's consuming. But I can also tell you, it's exhilarating. You get so much from it. In fact, the very Sunday that you wake up and you say, why in the world did I sign up for this? That very Sunday, you'll be walking out saying, you know what? There was somebody who learned a new truth today and the light came on. And it made a difference in their life. And it'll make a difference in your life. So yes, it will be consuming, but it will also be exhilarating. And then number three, ministry is costly. Ministry is also priceless. It's going to cost you of your time. It's going to cost you of your energy. It's going to cost you. You will feel burnout at times. But I can tell you right now, it's going to be priceless. Would you please hang with me on this one? Because this one for me became very personal this week. As I was putting this together and thinking about how do you speak reality of ministry and encourage people to sign up and be a part of a ministry? At the same time, you're telling them, hey, here's the hard facts about it, okay? Here are the hard facts. It's going to be messy. It's going to be consuming. It's going to be all these things. Then I began to think, who poured into my life? And in the first service, he and his wife were here. But I have, we now have a Sunday school teacher of mine that attends Grace Point, and which is pretty impressive. If you know my history, then you, you know that and you're still coming, and that's, that's good. But... Uh, Tom Jones is his name, and uh, he joined maybe about a year ago, maybe not that long ago, and uh, Tom was my 10th or 11th grade Sunday school teacher, I can't remember, but I do remember this. It was at a major pivotal time in my life when I was deciding to follow Christ or not follow Christ, go my own way or go Christ's way. And I can remember it was Tom Jones in his simple, very introverted way that was very faithful, very consistent very loving, great father figure, because I didn't necessarily have the best father figure at home, great example all the way through, and Tom Jones invested in my life. And Had I thought that he would be in the service 20 years later? Had he thought that? that? That blows my mind. But I can tell you this, he taught a lot of other kids thereafter, and he taught a lot of other kids before me. But he taught me and he made a difference in my life. So I'll tell you this. Ministry is costly, but ministry is also priceless. He made a difference in my life. And I told him I was going to share about him today, and he got real scared and nervous. He said, I almost didn't come today. I said, well, listen, you just, you just sit there. I won't embarrass you because he's very much an introvert. But I want to point out something. When you invest in other people, it makes a difference. When you do ministry and you get beyond yourself and you look beyond the crowd and you look at the individual, it can make a difference. You'll light their life up and make a difference in their life. Here's the third thing. We've got to stop. We've got to stop stalling and start striking. Stop stalling. Quit talking about ministry, analyzing, criticizing, all that kind of stuff. Be a part of turning on the light in somebody's life. Here Jesus is, he is going from one big miracle to the next big, he's in between miracle gigs, if you look at it like that. 
What in the world? I mean, he's moving on. I mean, this baby's going to die. This girl's going to die. Why in the world do you stop? He stops. And he talks. And he engages this lady. This lady who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years is now down, scared to death because Jesus stops and is looking for the woman. And, and she comes up and look at there at verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Jesus did two things. He, he dealt with her. He ministered to her physically. He ministered to her spiritually. He struck a match. He lit up her life. Whenever he said, Your body is healed. I'm ministering to your body. But I'm also saying, Go in peace. I'm ministering to your spirit. You can't get peace in any other way other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we have here is we have an example of Jesus striking a match and pouring himself into somebody else's life. I want our ushers to to pass out something to you today. I want to give all of you all a complimentary matchbook. All right? This is your matchbook that I want you to carry with you. I want you to carry it with yourself over the next three weeks, and I want you to just hold it in your pocket. Put it on the dashboard of your car if you don't carry things in your pocket. Put it on your desk at work. Let it be a reminder to you that God has put something inside of you. He's put the fire of His Holy Spirit. He didn't just do it to light up your world. He called you to be the light of the world. And, you know, I don't know much about matches and fires and all that kind of stuff. But I do know this. Matches were not made to stay in the matchbook. I can tell you that's one, one principle that I know. The second principle that I know is a match was not meant to merely light itself and just be lit. You don't just do this unless you are a pyromaniac and you just like watching fires. And you like pain on your fingertips. But as you look at that, that's not what a match was for. A match was made to light something else. To set somebody on fire. Not literally, metaphorically. A match was made to set a life ablaze. Jesus Christ sent His Holy Spirit and He put His fire inside of you. And for the next three weeks, you're going to hear more and more and more about how you can strike a match. That's written on the very top of that. How you can strike a match and make a difference in somebody's life. Excuse me. Next week, let me just give you a, 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 a preview of next week. Next week when you come in around this room, all around the edges will be tables set up. There will be all the various ministries that we have going on either right now in the church or ministries that we want to start in the church. But these are ministries that are possibilities out there. Ministries that are in the church where you're ministering to people in the church and ministries that are, some that are outside the church. But this is the time of the year where we come together once a year and we say, listen, guys and gals, men and women, we need you to strike a match. We need you to light up somebody's life. Hey, listen, we have all kinds of flavors up here. I have vanilla lime and lilac blossom and, and home sweet home and this is my favorite, Canary Island Banana or something like that. 
Listen, and you're going to get kids in your classroom that are going to be all kinds of flavors and smells, literally and metaphorically again. But you can make a difference. And you might light up somebody's life that may one day, listen, may one day be your pastor. Huh? You ever thought about that one? May one day be your pastor. May one day be lighting up people around you. This ministry fair that we will have going on for the next two, come early, stay late, and, and just listen to the, go to the different booths and learn about the different ministries, how you can get plugged in. Some are outreach ministries, some are fellowship ministries, some are discipleship ministries. All these different ministries will be there. You can go and get plugged in. Now you say, I'm not a member, how can I do this? Listen, let this be a starting point for you. Learn about the ministries. This may solidify whether or not God wants you to be a part of Grace Point. This may say, hey, I want to be a part of a family like this. I've been attending, but I want to be a part of the family. I compare church membership to a marriage and merely being a church attender all the time and never is to be living with somebody. Okay? When you're just an attender and you never have intentions of ever becoming a member, it's like living with somebody. You can walk out anytime you want. We don't know who you are. You're gone and, and, and we'll never see you again. You're just living with us. That's okay. As long as, you're, as long as you're going through this process of seeking God. But there needs to come a time in your life when you enter into that faith relationship that you need to find a home. You need to find a marriage. And then you need to get into that marriage and you need to bloom there and you need to plant yourself there and watch God bloom you. Watch God make a difference. But that's what will be happening over the next couple of weeks. Be thinking about it. Come early. Stay late. Find out. Maybe you're going to be one of the 200 that Leodra is going to need. Maybe you're going to help start a new ministry. Maybe you're going to help sustain a growing ministry that we already have going on in the church. What is it that God's calling you out to be a part of? How is He wanting you to strike a match? But you know, it's not just here. It's around the world. I, I want to introduce you to a couple as we close out today. John and Rachel McAdams. If you'll go ahead and come on up, uh, John and Rachel. Um, many of y'all, some of y'all know John and Rachel. Uh, some of y'all do not. They're from the area. They're not, they're not, necessarily, they're not members of Grace Point. But we're kind of taking them on as a partner with them because they're about to go around the world and you got one hiding back here behind you. <laughs> they're about to go on the other side of the world to a very difficult place and they're going to start fires, metaphorically again, in people's lives, into a nation that 99.9% are Muslims. And as we give every week, a portion of that is going to help them get over there and sustain themselves while they're over there take care of their kids and different things like that. And I hope that we'll continue to increase that as long as they're there. But I want you to hear about some other firelighters and what they're doing and what God's doing in their life. Okay? Hi, we're John and Rachel McAdams, and uh, this is our oldest son, Seth. He's six. He'll be seven the day after we arrive uh, in the country. And uh, we have an, another son who's five, and we have another a daughter who's three. And um, we are... Going, like, like Mike said, we're going to a country that is 99.9% Muslim. It's a, it's a very dark place uh, in, from the lack of light of having Jesus in, in their culture. And uh, we haven't, we're not sharing necessarily the name of the, cult, the country just for kind of security reasons, but if you come to, to the table in the back later, we'll share, share more specifics about what we're doing. But um, we, um, we're excited that you guys are being, uh, partnering with us as we go and want to just uh, take the time just to share just a few moments about that. It's exciting for me personally because I've seen several of you um, in the earlier service and in this service that um, I knew all growing up in Rogers. And then um, some of you are friends from the Bentonville-Rogers area. 
And um, you guys have poured your lives into us as well. Um, Beth Robinson teaches our little girl in BSF. And Sean and Candace Bowen, they led me in an Experiencing God study when I was a senior in high school, and countless others. And this is just what we're going to be doing in the country we're moving to. We're not, um, we don't, we're not endowed with superhuman, you know, special powers, and we don't know how to, we haven't, don't have the Bible memorized front to back. It's not like we are qualified. Um, frankly, we're selfish. We're selfish, and this isn't something I ever wanted to do. Um, I actually felt sorry for my sister-in-law, Christy Martin, growing up at Emmanuel, thinking, I'm really glad I'm not called to missions. Poor Christy. <laughs> That's too bad. Um, but here I am today. God changed our hearts. Um, we're, not, we're not especially equipped. I don't know how to be a mom in a foreign culture. We don't know the language. It's going to be, uh, I think it said, messy, consuming, costly. Yeah, all that's our life. But God's given us a peace and a joy in the process. Um, we want to live out our everyday lives in front of people who have no access to Jesus followers. They think that a Christian is what they see on the American media. So we want to just provide a light for them and give them a relationship that they can um, see something different. But we can't do it alone. We need a relationship with you. Uh, Mike said that three minutes after the service is over, you're supposed to talk to someone you don't know. And we asked that for some of you, it would be us. So we're going to be back at the table. Yeah, and like Mike said, we uh, just the idea that it's it's personal. And we really want to, uh, to have a personal relationship with you guys. And so come back there to the table. We have a... Uh, we are basically our vision when we're in Turkey, when we're in this country is the, is the idea that we want to be able to um, to start churches and it, it's start with just a single church that we're we're a small group of people that get together and in a home and share and then as um, as that grows we want to be able to see churches being planted uh, with uh, the nationals leading their own churches and it not be an American church this is a church of this country and this nation that's that represents their their um, character traits that are unique to them so we um if you come back there we have a, a little little uh, prayer card that you guys can can pick up and uh, also we'd like for you to fill out just a form that just helps us to keep in touch if, if you're interested in oh sorry if you're interested in uh, getting a, our newsletter or being able to for us to, to be able to contact you uh and, and to have be able to spend some time with you personally so uh, thank you guys for again for having us here this morning, and uh, thanks, Mike, for the time. Wonderful. We want to pray for y'all. But now, John, you were you were in business. It worked at Tyson's. Is that right? For Walmart. 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 Okay. Uh, and so that's. I mean, this is something that God's laid on your heart for a long time, and then and then as well as you uh, over a period of time, we need to pray for them and their children. Also, need to pray for their parents, and they're because they're losing grandchildren over to a foreign country, and so there's a lot of things to pray for for them. Y'all are also trying to liquidate everything you've got and trying to prepare yourself for over there. Is that correct? And we, we're basically there. Yeah, we basically have everything liquidated. We just sold our home this last Thursday. And, Great. And uh, we're having one more car to sell, but uh, hopefully that that'll happen in the next few weeks. And then um, just packing everything up. That's the biggest deal. Leaving on May. Tw- May 29th. May 29th. Six weeks. Six weeks. All right. Well, let's pray for them. Vicki Thomas and their Body Life Group will be partnering. Will be the partnering group, uh, Body Life group that will be with them. And we just want to lift them up as they invest their life in this country. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. And we thank you for just how you provide for us in, in ways that are way beyond our understanding. And, and Lord, I thank you for, for raising up the McAdams and their willingness to go and to serve in a place that's way different than here in so many ways in faith and principle and values and and 
Lord, I just would ask that you would go with them and before them. And Lord, sometimes it may seem hostile in the areas that they are and around the people, but I would pray for safety. I pray for security and that your angels would always be around them, protecting them, and your spirit would always be guiding them. Lord, we thank you for this time, and I even thank you, Lord, for the offering that we now receive, and that you would, Lord, use this offering as a as, a, as an opportunity to extend their ministry as well as our ministry as we continue to light candles in people's hearts. Lord, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.